Welcome to Pedagog, a podcast about teachers talking writing. I'm your host, Shane Wood. In this episode, Halcyon Lawrence and Liz Hutter talk about inclusive and accessible design, technical communication, usability, and pedagogical literacy frameworks. Born and raised in Trinidad and Tobago, Halcyon M. Lawrence is an associate professor of technical communication and information design at Towson University. She has over 20 years of professional experience as a technical trainer, writer, and usability practitioner. Her research focuses on speech intelligibility, accent bias, and the design of speech interactions for voice technologies, particularly for underrepresented user populations. She holds a PhD in technical communication from Illinois Institute of Technology in Chicago. Liz Hutter is an assistant professor in the Department of English at the University of Dayton, where she teaches courses in technical communication and health humanities, Her scholarly interests cross multiple fields, including rhetoric, health communication, disability studies, narrative, and the history of medicine and science. One of her specific projects examines the development of communication practices around life-saving. She regularly and enthusiastically collaborates with Dr. Halcyon Lawrence on matters of technical communication pedagogy and scholarship. Halcyon and Liz, thanks so much for joining us. Halcyon, as a teacher, You are committed to inclusive and accessible design, so your approach to teaching and curriculum development focus on inclusivity and accessibility. Can you talk more about your approach to teaching and what this looks like in praxis with your students? So I think it's important to sort of set up who my students are and the kinds of classes that I teach. Teach only upper level technical and scientific writing courses and or courses in our graduate program in professional writing. And at the undergraduate level, very rarely do I teach an English major. So these courses that I'm teaching are what we call service course. And so for those students, I think it's important to know that they often have their last set of writing instruction in the form of first year comp or maybe maybe one other course. So there hasn't been any formal writing instruction. They're often coming out of technical fields or STEM fields. Um, And so they're taking this course that I teach as part of a requirement, um, which sometimes makes them what I call hostages, (laughs) Um, part of a requirement that for their degree. So I think it's important to set that up. As a result, one of the major assumptions that I find in my students is that they Because they are taking an English class, there are assumptions about what they're going to do in this upper level writing class. And it's often that they're going to be writing essays. And so very early and throughout these courses, I've I've had to keep who my students are in mind as I design the courses and what I'm going to reinforce. And so the what often needs to be reinforced isn't just that they aren't doing essays, but that the writing that they're going to be doing in technical and scientific writing is task-oriented. It's about somebody coming to their writing to accomplish a particular task for a particular purpose. And so when I talk about the fact that my classroom and my, my curriculum is inclusive, it is about inclusive and accessible design, which is about writing that centers the reader as a user 
And so I worked really hard to get my students to think about readers as users, readers who are not themselves or not their instructor or not their peers, but readers who have a very practical task that they need to accomplish. And I know for our listeners, the pedagogue, that that might not be novel, but for our students, it is such a new idea that there's somebody who's going to act on the writing that they're doing. Somebody who's going to make a decision based on the writing that they're doing is a really novel concept. So um, a lot of the, or all of the major exercises that I do start with objective and lead very quickly into getting students to think about audience, uh, writing user profiles or writing audience analyses and keeping that central to the writing that they do. Liz, let's talk about your teaching. What are some of your goals in teaching technical communication or some principles that guide your pedagogy? I guess it's easy to pick up, piggyback on what um, Halcyon shared because there are uh, some similarities. Uh, my context is a little bit different in that currently most of my technical communication course, it is upper level, but it's uh, for the health science students or the students who are in the biological sciences. So um, like Halcyon, my students typically are not um, English majors, although my class is designated an English class and it has that um, designation of ENG. So um, students already, I think, compartmentalize me in this course in a way that aligns with um, creative writing, or we're going to read novels or write essays, um, which, you know, through no fault of their own, that has been their past um, experience. Uh, in the so it is a service class. Um, this course uh, for my like pre-med majors. Uh, they tend to, it's satisfying a required class in their curriculum, but it's also that curriculum is responding to med, medical school requirements. So med school is saying students need an English class. And then this is in part how they, I think, come to my class. Um, the students who are in the more of the health sciences, which is a different college um, where I am, that kind of encompasses a lot of um, pre-OT or pre-PT nursing, um, those kinds of students. And so the requirement is serving, um, I think, a different function. Uh, so nonetheless, students are in this class, I guess, that so safe to say that um, they've been tasked with having this course as part of their um, curriculum, and they may not really understand um, why they're taking this um, or the ways it might benefit them um, sort of professionally. So in terms of principles, though, immediately, because uh, again, like what Hal echoed, my students, their most recent English class um, or writing class has most likely been freshman writing. Um, and that emphasis there is on preparing them to, um, to write academically. And, and by that, I mean, and we talk about, where I talk about this with my students is they're doing analyses or comparisons. Um, and the audience, um, and they are readily admit it's for the teacher um, uh, and for the purpose of, as they say, we want to get a good grade when we start talking about it. So they, um, the, the, the concept of a task-driven 
um, form of communication is really um, unfamiliar to them because they're used to writing to demonstrate knowledge or mastery. Um, they haven't made the shift that, um, that again, that their communication is, um, is driving some decision or action. So because I teach a lot of, um, or because I'm, I teach a writing in the health professions course, when I talk about um, technical communication, I really bring it back to someone, a patient, a caregiver, a family member, is what's at stake is a decision has to be made. And, and sometimes that decision might be as ordinary as you know, changing, um, deciding what foods to incorporate in a new low sodium diet. Or they might, you know, on another, at the other end of the spectrum, there's more at stake and they're making a decision about a treatment option or about um, end of life care or something like that. So I think already they come, so I, I try to make that clear very early on as a way to kind of, again, just kind of break them out of um, this understanding that you're writing for the teacher and that my presence is really more as, is less about, they're not writing, writing for me. Um, and then the second principle is tied to this, and again, just to reiterate um, what Halcyon shared, is uh, the concept of a user is also, as opposed to a reader, I tend to emphasize more, um, we talk about the difference between a reader and a user, but the idea of a user, again, I think is, is that it's not a passive um, activity, that there is use going on. Um, again, they are making a decision. Once I frame it as, you know, patients or caregivers, it, it becomes a little bit more familiar, but still the level of detail that um, over the course of the semester we get into takes some time because, of course, they know, you know, I might, they'll think of their father or a friend or themselves as the patient or the user. Um, and so um, it's difficult um, and it takes time to kind of, um, what do I, like kind of carve away all of those assumptions and um, that they have and really to get to a place where they're thinking of someone other than themselves um, and, and, and what that and what's at stake in doing so. It sounds like both your pedagogies focus on the user. You both mentioned the word user as opposed to maybe what many of us think about in first year writing as the reader or audience. What kinds of activities or assignments do you use that allow you to explore what it means to be a user and or maybe in TechCom pedagogy, what it means to, to center and focus on the concept of usability? One of the assignments that I have my upper level writing students do in a TechCom class is to write a set of instructions. And that's actually not unfamiliar to them. They, uh, they write, for, write up labs and they're told that part of the process, one of the reasons they write up labs is for reproducibility. So the idea that somebody else can pick up a lab um, and follow their steps and get a similar outcome is that's, that's not foreign to them. What is foreign to them is the fact that these instructions can and should be tested <laughs> um, for reproducibility, for trans transparency, for accountability. And so I have in that exercise, or as I mentioned, all of the assignments that I have them do starts at the point of identifying purpose and identifying a clearly defined audience with a need. As Liz mentioned, getting them to think about why is this person picking up your set of instructions? What do they want 
to accomplish. And keeping that and have them keep that in mind about the, their users as they write these instructions. And then once that's done, I actually have them do usability tests. And for the first time, um, students are getting to see somebody respond to their writing and not even, this is so different from peer review, where they may see their colleagues might have a reaction to or an opinion about. This is about getting them to witness how their writing moves somebody to do something. And it's often a very powerful experience. I've I've had students say, I've never had somebody do something in response to what I have written. It's very empowering for them. It's also very powerful in that it removes me as the instructor um, in terms of how I correct and, and train and teach because there are things that when they see somebody um, stumble on or it's not clear that it, that's far, far more powerful than me. I, I can see it. I can tell you that that's gonna be a problem. But for, to see them, that they have the opportunity to see somebody grapple with their writing, I think is a really powerful thing. Yeah. Um, in my writing for the health professions, um, I have an assignment that is uh, to assess the uh, usefulness, clarity, and understandability of a piece of public facing health education or health promotion material. And so again, I I don't think that's like a a new or kind of innovative assignment, but what has um, changed for me over the several semesters I've um, kind of been designing iteratively this assignment is initially I approached it as um, choose a document and let's talk about plain language and design and and, um, sort of how all of those things um, support the messaging of the document. And I would, uh, and they did that well, but you know, of course the user dropped out and I at that time was talking about the user, but I really had put it into the background. So the user became almost just like a homework assignment, you know, so who, who, you know, who do you imagine would be using this or or reading it? Um, But uh, what I found though too uh, is what shifted is I've um, given more emphasis to that, to the persona part. Um, And what's less, become less important in terms of, what I've put less emphasis on is that document analysis that I've had to kind of elevate what I thought was just a one-off homework assignment to its own um, sort of major project. So it is, you know, creating a user um, persona, which again is not a new kind of assignment. Um, I do have some constraints though, uh, just um, the kind of research that I ask my students to do is limited because we don't have access to, you know, patient populations. And so uh, we spend a lot of time then talking about where do you, how can you learn about um, someone who's different from yourself when you don't have access to them directly. And I actually find that very fruitful. um, And I think it opens their eyes too to see different ways that they can learn about the, a particular condition. Um, I send them to uh, like blog posts. Um, illness blogs are very common for certain conditions and they sort of see other um, persons kind of documenting um, maybe what it's like to live with a chronic illness of a particular kind. So um, the user persona takes on um, a lot more depth um, and we kind of move from Uh, that like demographic characteristics. And when it comes to health information, I also spend a lot of time 
um, that health decisions are very much informed by beliefs and attitudes. And that's also something students, I think, um, have taken for granted um, about, of course, everyone's going to do with what the physician says, or of course, they're going to share everything up front with their physician. So part of this user persona is, is starting to flesh out some of those things that are less tangible, that um, what motivates them, what kinds of health experiences might a person have that might be influencing their hesitancy about surgery and so forth. So, um, so the, as a result, this persona uh, takes on sort of a life of its own. The other difference I would say that I found helpful for students is I actually do the persona as a collaborative assignment. I used to have them do it um, individually. And what was happening, when I would ask them how they came up, you know, some reflection on their development of the persona, I was getting a lot of, oh, I based this on my uncle or my roommate. And truthfully, I, I didn't see a problem with that. But in terms of my goals of a truly kind of user-centered um, persona uh, and someone other than themselves, I, 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 I worried, I realized that that was maybe not, that was working against it. The collaboration I found um, helps them see that there is more than one way to talk about someone with a particular condition. Um, and I find that they kind of bounce ideas off of each other. It also allows them to do more to um, the breadth of research, I think is better. So then they come together with, I found this out, or here's this. And so they sort of put, put together um, their persona um, collaboratively and kind of negotiating um, the different ways that this persona could take shape, ultimately showing them that there isn't one type of person uh, like who's going to have a knee replacement surgery that they actually see that they have. Wow, it's not just my my uncle, um, that there are all these other other variables to take into account. You co-wrote a chapter called Confronting Methodological Stasis, Reexamining Approaches to Technical Communication Pedagogical Literacy Frameworks. That's in the edited collection, Effective Teaching of Technical Communication, Theory, Practice, and Application, which won the 2022 4Cs Award for Best Original Collection of Essays in Technical or Scientific Communication. Can you talk more about what you're doing in this chapter, the purposes of your writing, and what you hope teachers will take away from this? As I was listening to Liz talk, and based on the question that you've asked us, so much of what we've shared led to this. Because Liz and I talk about pedagogy all the time. And we talk about the, the kinds of challenges that we have teaching our students to write particularly as we described um, who our students are and where they're coming from. One of the things that we recognize is that we feel a certain kind of pressure in our upper level writing classes to create multiply literate students that on the surface, we're asking them to do one thing, but really there are so many literacies that we require of them. And some of them, they, they've not received instruction that develop, develops those literacies prior to our class. And so we found ourselves teaching at different institutions, finding the same challenges because we were always teaching the service course. And so in our own research and what this chapter is trying to do um, is engage with critically the pedagogical 
um, literacy framework in our field and how that helps us think about our classroom, our curriculum design, our programmatic design, um, but how it also helps us identify exactly what we're doing in our classrooms. And so the article offers a critique of the way in which the field has engaged with Kelly Carvile Cook's layered literacies um, pedagogical framework. This framework that um, Kelly uh, worked on over 20 years ago has really sort of held its ground in the field. It has influenced uh, many, um, many of the works that we produce in technical and scientific communication, but there really hasn't been any critical uh, engagement with the pedagogical framework. And that's what we, we were seeking to do because of the kinds of problems we were encountering in our own classrooms. So one of the things that the article does is that it offers an insight into the way in which over the last 20 years, our field has been engaging with uh, Cargill Cook's framework. And so we saw after studying a number of, um, looking at a number of colleagues, um, writings and research is that there are these patterns of engagement. So one pattern, for example, is adding. Um, so Cargill Cook has established that there are six basic six literacies or discrete literacies, like basic and technological, critical, social, and so on. And what we saw the field doing is coming along, recognizing that they have a new literacy that doesn't fit into these six categories. So they propose adding a new one. And so adding was one of those patterns of engagement that we were doing as a field without really critically examining what adding does to a literacy framework. And so we've identified four types of patterns. We talk about adding, we talk about deepening, we talk about stacking and checklisting and the way that it works in our research. But we also ask our readers to consider, let's say the practice of adding, um, adding a fourth, a fifth, a sixth, a seventh, an eighth, where does it stop? How does that make the framework bloated? How does it make the framework unsustainable? And so in essence, this article is asking us to consider how we engage with with the, the literacies framework that we currently have, and how might we break what we call the methodological stasis, that, as, that in the last 20 years, we really have not come up with another methodology to be able to identify and talk about um, literacy, pedagogical literacy frameworks in our field. And I think uh, where we, uh where we kind of end our article or sort of our um, kind of some of our takeaways is, so we've identified these engagement patterns, but the question I think is, yeah, uh, the so what and what happens um, if we don't think differently about um, how we engage. And so we um, identify three characteristics um, of what a um, kind of a living, a more responsive living um, pedagogical literacy framework um, characteristic it should have. Um, and th those three characteristics are responsive. So a responsive framework um, is one that 
responds and accommodates uh, new literacies, traditional literacies um, over time, and also accommodates um, the different entry points for these literacies. Um, and th this is kind of a, a reference to what Hal started with, which is when students come to us, they're hearing about some of these literacies and I'll just uh, uh, design, for example, they're coming and that's new to them. Um, whereas maybe other literacies like a research literacy uh, might be something that's more developed for them. So having a framework that um, doesn't just uh, accommodate the different literacies, but accommodates the different um, developmental stages in which students are grappling um, with these literacies was important. Um, another characteristic is uh, this multi, uh, we use the word multi-dimensional. So uh, what was important in um, Cargill Cook's framework was this layeredness. Um, but in keeping with, um, I think, a more responsive framework, what we see is that layeredness actually is, is more of an interdependence. And so, again, as a way of breaking from patterns of stacking or adding um, a framework uh, that demonstrates or recognizes how these literacies are interdependent um, and that it's not necessarily sequential or they're not discrete, that they are coexisting or co-developing in some um, in many cases. And then the third characteristic uh, we um, identify is just sustainability. And I think how kind of uh, reference this is that um, sustainable, of course, is ensuring that the framework, um, not just that it continues um, to grow, but it's useful um, and it's relevant um, at, in keeping with the field's growth um, and development and, and all of the new things that, it, that is happening. Um, so those three characteristics is um, is uh, kind of where we uh, uh, one of our conclusions for um, what we uh, it's more of I guess a recommendation as to what um, uh, to break out of this stasis what might a pedagogical literacy framework demonstrate. Um, beyond that, then, uh, we also um, just our takeaways we frame as questions um, because we don't have we're not suggesting what the framework is, but more um, our our takeaway is to kind of uh, ignite or to spur the engagement of the field. Um, and so we pose questions as a way of doing that. Um, a couple of our questions then uh, we ask is a single framework necessary? Um, or would multiple frameworks um, be preferable? And if we did have, or if the field did have multiple frameworks, would this um, uh, be an asset for our field's identity or um, would, it, would it take away from my, our, our identity as a field? Um, a second question, which um, I know Helena, we think is very provocative, uh, is this who and by what mechanism does our field determine these literacies? Um, um, for technical communication. And then um, a third uh, question um, that we ask is, can or should our framework account for a hierarchy of literacies? Again, no answers, but hopefully uh, provocation <laughs> questions for others to pick up. Thanks, Halcyon and Liz. And thank you, pedagogue listeners and followers. Until next time.